Hey, 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 everyone. Francis Fernando here. So uh, in today's episode, I want to talk about the biggest question, the most popular question, the number one issue that all real estate investors have. And here's what that question is. I don't have money to invest in real estate. How do I do it? So, hashtag how much will I make? My focus is helping people in wanting to invest in multifamily housing that work full-time. So they've got full-time careers and they are looking at investing in real estate as a path towards creating wealth. Hashtag how much will I make? As you know, my mantra is this. Keep your full-time job. If you love your job, keep your full-time job. There's so many messages out there of people trying to convince people to leave their jobs and invest in real estate as a sole uh, following. I don't prescribe that. Here's what I prescribe. I prescribe keep your job because it offers you the dignity, the stability, and the ability Three important words. Your job offers you the dignity, stability, and ability to live the life that you are living right now. But my want and my suggestion and my piece of advice to you is invest in real estate as a path towards creating wealth. However, do it right. So here is the number one burning question that I get all the time from investors when I meet them is Francis. I want to invest in real estate. I just don't have the cash. How do I get the cash? So a couple of different ways. We're going to explore a couple of different ways. The first is, um, I want to tell you, you know, many, many years ago, I f was in that same situation before I created a stream of income and before I started focusing on building assets for myself, where I could then leverage those assets to buy more assets. That's ultimately how it works. I was in that exact same situation. I had a great job, but, but the proceeds of that job weren't enough to cover the lifestyle, the family expenses, and then have enough of a savings to put down and buy a pretty expensive multifamily property. So thereby, I was short on having that income. So I did a couple of things. The first thing I did was I... Um, I uh, partnered up with someone and I, I, I had a partnership and, uh, and you know, we can get into the details of how to get into partnerships. Uh, there's very specific ways you want to get into partnerships. You know, it's all, I say, it's all, uh, you know, holding hands and kumbaya uh, when you first get into the partnership. But then later on, if you don't have the come to Jesus discussion with the partner that you're getting involved in, then it's a, uh, uh, a recipe for having issues in that relationship down the road. Uh, so the first uh, transaction that I did was actually a partnership. Um, so I did a partnership and uh, purchased a five-unit apartment building. It was a pretty simple agreement. It was a 50-50 split. You know, I put 50% of the down payment. Uh, my partner put 50% of the down payment, and we acquired this property. Um, now, back to what I said about having a come-to-Jesus discussion with your partner. 
um, the outlook of my partner and the outlook of my personal outlook was uh, not aligned. And so that is advice number one. If you're getting into a partnership, make sure you sit down and have that what I call come to Jesus discussion, which is what is the long term outlook? Uh, there's many different factors, but what is the long-term outlook? Uh, should I fall into desperate times and I need my capital? What are the procedures and the steps in order to exit this business uh, plan? Um, if I am to buy out my partner, what is the buyout clause? How do we how, how do we factor that in? Is it based on an, on an appraisal? Is it based on multiple appraisals? Is it based on the purchase price? There's multiple different ways that you can go. So partnerships are really important um, and having the right partnerships and having that upfront discussion. So needless to say, we did not do that. We jumped into this partnership. We did 50-50. And uh, within a year, my partner needed his capital because he had a uh, an interest in uh, right, wrong, or indifferent. So I'm not pointing fingers at my partner, but he had an interest in uh, acquiring another property, uh, a deal that came his way that he really wanted to take advantage of, and he wanted to liquidate the funds from this real estate asset. So from the five-unit building, he wanted his 50%, and he wanted to be able to go and acquire this new property. The problem with this was uh, a couple of uh, couple of things, couple of fold issues with this. Uh, the first was this occurred within a year of us closing on the property and usually with commercial loans they want a there is a seasoning requirement so there is a seasoning requirement in other words you have to have owned the property for a significant amount of time typically greater than a year in order to do a refinance so uh, we didn't fall into that seasoned uh, requirement so we were within we were short of that one year uh, time frame so we couldn't refi with the existing institution that's number one number th the second option was that I could have uh, paid him off based on what he was looking for which was basically his 50% uh, down plus any appreciation that we mutually agreed upon um, unfortunately, I didn't have the funds at the time to be able to simply stroke him a check and pay him off so that I could acquire that uh, part. So what I ended up doing was, so my options were savings, which I didn't have. Um, uh, uh, seller held back paper, which is really not an issue in this case because um, uh, we had already bought the property and closed the property. Uh, the final option that I had was to use hard money. And so that's what I ended up doing. I ended up using a hard money lender. And, um, you know, there are mechanics with hard money. Typically, the way hard money works is that you, the hard money lender will look at the property, right? So he'll put uh, enough emphasis on the property uh, because the property is ultimately going to be his collateral. So he puts the uh, enough emphasis on the property. And then uh, if if he's in second position, meaning that there is a primary mortgage, he is going to ask for a, um, typically, he or she is going to ask for a personal guarantee, which they will do anyway, but they might cross-collateralize the, the position so that instead of being on second position on the investment property itself, they may cross-collateralize that with your primary residence. 
So that's really important. So anyway, I'm getting too much into the mechanics of how hard money lo loans work. Uh, and I will do a separate episode on how hard money uh, lenders work, um, how they um, qualify you, some of the pitfalls that you want to pay attention to when you're working with them, how to negotiate with a hard money lender. I'll do that as a completely separate episode. But for the purposes of this video and this episode, it is... I don't have enough money to buy real estate. What are my options? So back to, you know, sort of wrapping up my story. Here are the options. Using your own savings, utilizing your own savings, which the problem with utilizing, mean the, the, here's the benefits of utilizing your own savings. When you use, utilize your own savings, ultimately you're answerable to yourself. Right. So you don't have a loan with anyone. You don't you just have your money, your personal money tied up. Um, that's the that's the advantage. Uh, the disadvantage, like I said, is that you have your money tied up. So from a leverage standpoint, you're not really leveraging that money. Well, um, uh, the other issue with using, you know, your own personal savings is there's a finite finite amount of money that you have as savings that you can utilize for this. So you want to be, you know, you can only tap into that a, uh, to a certain, there's a ceiling of how much savings you have, unless you are very well cashed. Uh, so using, you know, your personal savings is one option. Um, the second option is doing a partnership. And like I said, uh, you know, partnerships, you really want to be careful on how you do partnerships. And I will do a separate episode on how to do partnerships. But you can find an investor such as yourself. And the power of multiples helps you be able to, you know, buy larger properties. So you bring 50%, 20%, 10%, whatever the partnership agreement is. There are partnerships where you can have a capital partner bring all the capital and you bring all the work or the project management or the property management or the facilitation or the overseeing of the project, and you can still split the equity position uh, however you feel like. So it's you're putting in sweat equity uh, and your uh, um, the other person is providing the capital, and then you have an agreement on that. So there's the partnership model. The other is seller held back paper. Now, this only works on the acquisition of it. So when you're acquiring a property, you can always go to the seller and say, listen, Mr. Seller, uh, from a tax perspective, it might be beneficial for you to hold some paper. Holding paper means that they hold a second mortgage on the property. So typically, there's multiple ways you can do it. Typically, the way it's done is you're buying a property, an investment property, you need 25% down. The seller might hold back 10%. I know I've done it recently. You might hold back 10%, 12%, a certain percentage of that down payment. So you don't have to come up with 25%. The seller may hold back a portion of that. So for instance, the seller may hold back 10%. So if your down payment requirement is 25%, now you've just reduced your down payment amount uh, by 10%, so you would only need to come up with 15% down to acquire the property. 
Um, and so that works. And typically what they will do is they will do a fixed or a variable rate for a fixed amount of time, maybe interest-only payments uh, with a balloon payment. That's just one example. Again, I will get into the specifics on that of that on a separate episode. So that's seller-held back paper. The other is the use of hard money or private money. Private money means that it's just a, or hard money means is a uh, an individual who is going to provide you typically short-term financing up to about a year, sometimes two years. Uh, short-term financing, slightly higher rate, um, and they will, uh, you know, they'll take the property as collateral, they'll make you personally sign for it, and they may cross-collateralize that with other properties. Um, so that's hard money financing. Uh, so those are really the options that you have uh, from the standpoint of trying to get, um, you know, uh, or round up or source up the financing uh, to be able to buy properties. Of course, there's other options like uh, syndications that's really attracting money from uh, multiple different uh, sources. And again, we'll do an episode on that, but that's a little bit more sophisticated. Uh, that's a little bit more advanced. But for the purposes of buying, your first investment property or your second or your third investment property um, to have under your belt, again, savings, using your own personal savings, uh, seller-held back paper, a partnership, or the use of hard money. So with that, folks, I want to get into answering what I call rapid-fire questions. These are questions that people ask all the time or it bubbles up in their head so they'll watch a video like this and it'll bubble up in their head and so what I'd rather do is answer those as rapid fire questions so rapid fire question number one is what is the one downside about putting more of your savings into the deal so real quick answer to that is the more money you have into the deal the less of a cash on cash return so the more money you have, the less return on cash because ultimately that property is going to have a return on investment. But the more money you'd have tied up in that, the less of a cash on cash return you have because you have so much of your own money tied in that. So you don't have the use of leverage, leveraging someone else's money in order to make money. Uh, that's one uh, downside. Uh, question number two is, what are the mechanics of seller financing? I think I already sort of covered that, but the mechanics of seller financing is this. The seller will say, hey, I will hold a certain percentage of your down payment, or, or if they own the property outright, they may hold 20% of it. Uh, it has to be approved by the lender that you are going through, um, but the mechanics of it is you'll come to an agreement that seller will say, we'll go with a very traditional one. You need 25% down for a piece of real estate, the seller will hold back, say, 10%. The seller will say, I'm going to have a certain in interest rate on that for a fixed amount of time. Let's just say five years. Um, I'm going to hold this as a fixed interest rate for five years. You only have to pay interest payments. And then at the end of the five years, you make your balloon payment. So from the seller's standpoint, uh, it's an advantage because he's, uh, reduced his tax burden, number one. Number two, he's making all those interest uh, uh, payments. He's making, he's getting his interest payments up front throughout on a monthly basis, and then he gets a balloon payment at the, at the end. And he is secured by a second position 
on second or could be a first position if he's holding the entire paper but second position on that mortgage for that property so he's he's not really secure if the bank forecloses on it he may get wiped out but at least he's got an equity position he may also he or she may also cross collateralize the loan with your private residence and and they will definitely have you personally guarantee for that um, so that's the mechanics of seller financing. The advantage to you from a seller financing standpoint, again, is that you come up with less money for the down payment, um, which gives you the ability to purchase again, which was really the original intent of this video was I don't have enough money to invest in real estate. How do I do it? So that's that. That's question number two, rapid fire. Question number three is rapid fire. Question number three is isn't hard money too expensive and if you can't pay, pay it back does the hard money lender come with a bat to beat you across the head so uh, i will answer that number one is hard money too expensive well it depends right it depends on how you analyze people get so hung up on the cost or the rate of the hard money loan oh my god it's eight percent oh my god it's twelve percent don't get so hung up on the rate of interest but more focus on your analysis i call it pro forma and we'll do a separate video on pro formas but make sure you build in the cost of the hard money lender into your analysis so if you've built it in and 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 the pro forma is proving that it's expensive then yes the answer to that is it is expensive if you've built it into your pro forma and you are still making money on that by using the hard money lender then so be it you're still making money so the answer to that question is it depends you gotta run your numbers to make sure that you know exactly how much the hard money lender is going to make and hashtag how much will you make how much will i make hashtag how much will i make that's what i focus on um, and will the hard money come, lender come and beat you across the head? Well, of course he will. Now, I don't mean that literally, but I mean that the hard money lender will try to exercise his position if you have not paid for him. For him. And you've got to wear your hard money lender hat and put your, his hat on and, and, and look at it from his standpoint. He has extended an olive branch by giving you money. Right? It's your job to ultimately be honorable and be a person of integrity to pay him back, him or her back. Right, So he or she is going to exercise every opportunity that they can to secure their position and if they feel that they're not getting paid back. What is that? They will start a foreclosure on the on the property that they they have a mortgage on. They may start a foreclosure on the cross-collateralized properties. Um, they may personally go after you. Um, so that's, in essence, how they're going to beat you across the head is by exercising the contract that they have written up to secure themselves. They will exercise those uh, protections against you in order to secure their position. So with that, I would like to end this video. Those are some options on how you can uh, round up money. You don't have enough money to buy real estate yourself. 
Um, I feel that the power of leverage is an amazing thing. It's one of the, the age-old factors as to why real estate is, uh, is, is a great tool. Real estate for me has accelerated my life. I use the power of leverage earlier on in my career to build up my real estate assets. Assets greater than liabilities. That was my biggest path and my biggest want was creating assets having a situation where my assets were greater than my liabilities. And in the start of my career, I used all these op options, par uh, partnerships, hard money, uh, seller financing. I'd used all of these options in order to build up my assets. The beauty is once you've built up your assets and it, you have enough equity, then you ultimately become the banker and you can self-finance yourself. So with that, I encourage you to invest in real estate and ask yourself this question. Hashtag, how much will I make? Stay connected and good luck.